All right, so uh, we have a short series that we have started a couple of weeks ago, and that is in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so we're going to go to Proverbs. Proverbs, written by whom? Solomon, know. Solomon, okay, yes, Solomon, and there is in a couple of Proverbs uh, also written by another one or two people as well. I think Agar is the guy's name. Um, but majority of the, of the Proverbs are written by Solomon, wisest man ever to live, and so he's got a lot of good life advice. And it was put in the Bible um, for many good reasons. There's a lot of really good practical things. It matches up with many things that are in the Bible which talk about practical life situations. What do you do? Now, these do them in little tiny snippets. They take little snippets and they say it in a very short, succinct way to get you to think about it. So we're gonna go through a few Proverbs this week and uh, last, yeah, it wasn't last week, a couple weeks ago, uh, you did it with John, a couple of weeks ago before that, you did it with Pastor Olson. So uh, this one we're gonna do this week, we're gonna start in Proverbs chapter 27. We're gonna skip around and do a few things. So my very first question to you, before we read it, is what can we control? Ourselves, okay. And can we do that? Uh, not all the time. Not all the time. So we have one thing on this earth that we can control ourselves. How about people around us? Can we control people around us? No. I mean, maybe. Maybe. There's, there might be a few circumstances where you can for some point. For some time, if you're trying to control people around you, uh, it tends to be manipulation, right? At the point of a gun or something like that, or a knife, where you say, "Do this," and you say, "Okay, I'll do that," um, or you don't, because some people still would stand and say, "No, I'm not going to do that," regardless, even at gunpoint. Okay, so there are things in this world that we can control very few little things. All right. Can you control how old you get? No. It's going to happen. Every single day, you're going to get one day older till you die. Then you don't get any older, right? After that. Because time ceases for you in this life. Okay? Can't control that. Can't control the people around you in general, okay, you can't control circumstances, you have an effect on some things, all right, not saying that you completely are just like a little tiny uh, drop, you're sort of like a drop in a pond, right, you drop stone in a pond, or a drip of water in a pond, there's an effect around it, but you certainly don't change the whole course of the pond, there's a ripple. Okay, but if there's another something a little bigger than you, next to you, that ripple kind of overcomes your ripple. 
right? And if there are thousands of them around, all those ripples seem to just make a bunch of chaos. So in the midst of chaos, this proverb is what we want to read. All right, chapter 27 of Proverbs, verse number one. It's very short, so I want you to read it with all of your might. And I'll make you reread it if you don't. 27, verse one. 27, verse one. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what day may bring forth. Was that all you had? Yeah. You sure? All right. So, it says... What? What's boasting mean? To, to brag. To brag, okay? And when it says boast not, don't brag about tomorrow. What does that mean? Well, you didn't do anything tomorrow yet, right? So you can't really brag about what you did tomorrow, right? You could, I guess, brag about what you did yesterday, but you can't brag about what you did tomorrow. So what does that mean? Boast not. Okay, so don't, don't assume that everything is going to go according to your plan. That's what it means. Boast not for tomorrow. It means I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to accomplish this and I'm going to accomplish this. It's not bad to make a plan. But don't assume that your plan is how it will work. Right? I get to my job in the morning, pretty early in the morning. And when I get there, I have in my mind a plan of what I want to do that day. It is an very rare day that I do what I planned. Everybody in every other circumstance changes it. And I could say, tomorrow I'm going to do this, and that is it. I'm going to do it. And you can be as determined as you want, but circumstances may not let you. Other more pressing priorities could come up. And so, it says in that second half, you don't know what one day will bring. You don't know what will happen between now and tomorrow. In fact, you don't even know if you're going to make it till tomorrow. I don't know. I could walk out onto the street and get hit by a train. That would be tough because there's no trains on that street. But it could happen, okay? <laughs> An out-of-control okay. train came off the tracks and ran up East Shelby, right? <laughs> what I'm saying is nothing is impossible. It could be that train. That would be quite an impact, okay? So what I'm saying is you don't have control. You don't know the circumstances that are going to happen today. You think, well, I'm going to make a plan to do something. And that's all good. But when you lose control of that plan, what is your response? Many times we think we control things. We get the opinion that we control a lot of things in our lives. And when we don't, when things don't go our way, we get angry about it. Get all flustered frustrated because it didn't go my way 
and you all are going to pay for it because it didn't go my way. So I'm just going to be angry at everybody. But what this verse says is, you never had control of it to begin with. You might have thought you did. The problem is not the circumstances, and the problem is not anything but your attitude about it. The boasting of it saying, I got this covered. You just don't know. So, it puts us back in our place a little bit. But at the same time, it says this. Don't boast for tomorrow. I'm not in control, but who is in control? Who? God. God is in control, right? God is in control. Right? So there's a reason why things happen the way they are. We had a vehicle two days before we were going to go on a vacation. We had it all set. Everything was going to go. In my plan, in my mind, the vehicle was going to take us where we were going to go on vacation. Well, the vehicle broke down, and I did all my best to try and fix it. Changed out fuel pump, and then I got deeper into it, and there was more to it. Ended up being a fuel pump control module, which was a little computer hidden way up under the spare tire. Okay, Didn't even know about it. Didn't know about it existing. But by the end, I knew about it. Finally said, I'm going to order the part, and it's going to come tomorrow, and I'm going to put it in the car, and we're going to drive away. Well, guess what? It didn't come tomorrow. It didn't come in time. We had to make another plan. And I could get angry about that, frustrated about that, or I can just say, I'm not in control of it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and that's, I have to be okay with being flexible. I have to. Because God might say, you thought we were headed this way, but I'm going that way. And you need to come with me. You're going to come with me. That's how it's going to be. And in our hearts and our minds, we need to be able to be free enough and trust God enough to let go and say, it's okay. That's when you're really free in your mind, in your heart. Until then, you are imprisoning yourself, saying, I got control of this. You might be lying to yourself, and you can say, well, I don't think that, until you act that way. Okay? Trust God. Let it go. Let it go. Even bad-seeming circumstances, God walks you through them for a purpose. So don't assume you got the plan. Make a plan, but be flexible if God says, no, we're taking a left, and then a quick right, okay? Because we're going the way I need you to go, and not the way you plan on going, all right? So next week, we're going to have a plan, and we're going to prepare to do God's work here. And most of you have jobs that you are going to do, right? You're involved in some place. It is the most important ministry 
that we do in one day, or the most uh, intensive ministry maybe, is a better word, not necessarily important, but intensive ministry where we reach out to many, many people. They are watching you, every one of you. How do you react? What do you do? When it gets hot and sweaty and dirty and nasty and tired, what do you do? Do you have an attitude? Or can they watch you, right? You don't know what's coming, but you be flexible. Be flexible, because you don't know. But you plan and you work and you prep all you can. And then if God says, no, we're taking a quick left, quick right, okay, we can do it. Know that you never had control of the day to begin with. Right? This is God's ministry, not ours. God has a plan. God has a plan for certain people to be there. Not us. He does all the work. Right? But we come out and we do what we can to serve the Lord. Okay, chapter 25, verse number 24. Something totally different. It is better to dwell in the corner of the house than with a woman and in a white house. All right, here it is. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. What does brawling mean? What? Fight? Arguing. Arguing? Quarrelsome? In what kind of way? Just saying little comments as they walk by? No, like yelling. Just outright <coughs> coming at you. Okay? So if someone is like that, and in particular, here's an interesting thing, right? You can think of a guy, a woman in a great big house, and a guy climbing up on the roof to get away. Okay? The roof was not like our roofs today. The roofs in Solomon's times were flat roofs. Okay? They were built in layers, and they were built, oftentimes people spent time up there. Okay? It was a place you'd go in the evening because the sun was down, it was cooler. Up on the roof, you might get a breeze. It might have been your only place to get away at all. The idea here is this. If you have someone that is in an argumentative mood, brawling, a brawling person, fighting person, it is better to not engage. Right? Someone comes at you really angry about this. Your idea is not to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and tell them off. Because where does that get this guy? Nowhere. The idea is when you meet up with a person who's ready to rumble, that you are wise enough to step back and diffuse the situation, right? Bomb squad, people that go and work on a bomb squad are not good because they blow up bombs. They're good because they diffuse bombs, right? You could say, 
hey, I want to work for the bomb squad and blow stuff up. Nope. You want to work for the bomb squad so it doesn't blow up. That's much better. Anybody can make stuff blow up. But to defuse something is a much more uh, desired skill. To be able to take someone who is argumentative and be able to step out of that argument and calm things down is a far better skill than be able to blow it up and tell you how important and wonderful and smart I am because I can cut you to pieces with my tongue. Not impressive. People argue and fight all the time. In fact, relationships often get destroyed by careless words that are said. And so this guy says, she's in the mood to fight. I'm not going to engage her. I'm going to get up and get out and let her cool off. Okay? Goes for anybody in any relationship. The wisdom is in the fact that you can step out. That's wisdom. Okay? It's not wisdom to get into the middle of a fight. He, in fact, he gives up his comfort in the house. Nice, big, wide, lots of room in the house. It might be hot where he's going to go, but he says it's okay. It's better than engaging in this fight. I'm going to give up my comfort. I'm going to go somewhere else and get away. Let it cool down. Okay? Chapter 26, verse 17, please. He that passes, he that passeth by and endless with destroyed belonging not to him is like one that taketh the dog by the ears. Okay. So here it is. When I was about six years old, my neighbor was walking her dog outside. And I, my whole family was in the house. I came back out to grab something from outside. She was walking along her property border and she motioned to me to come over and then motioned to me to stop and then motioned to come over and I was confused at what she did. She had a big German Shepherd. When she kept doing this, this, and this, and this, I'm like, what do you want? I'm six, I don't know. I stepped onto the border of her property and her dog came out and attacked me. Got me down to the ground, bit over one side and the other of me. Uh, German Shepherd, she had to kick him to get him off of me. Okay? It's not a very pleasant thing to be bit by a dog. And apparently the moment I stepped over the border, he knew I was on his property and he was coming after me. She couldn't hold him, didn't matter. Big, big German Shepherd. Okay. Being bitten is not very fun. If you've ever been bitten by a dog, had to go and get stitches. Uh, he got me pretty good. He got me really good. Not fun to be bitten by a dog. Right? Now, when you walk by, here's another verse about arguing. You see someone's argument, and they're having an argument. If you come in and stick your nose into their argument and voice your opinion, it is like grabbing that German Shepherd by the ears. At the moment, you got him. 
but there'll be a time you gotta let go, right? And when you finally let go, he's agitated, and it's not gonna work out well for you. You're gonna get bitten. You're gonna get attacked. That's exactly what it is. You might think, I'm smart enough to add myself into this argument, right? People argue all the time. Not a wise thing to do, but people do it. People spend a lot of their time arguing. And if you come upon that and you say, well, I'm gonna let people know my opinion on it. That's like grabbing that dog by the ears and saying, I gotcha. Then what, right? eventually you're going to look pretty foolish because you grabbed a dog by the ears. A dog you didn't know. A dog that's ready to bite you. Right? And he's gonna. He's coming after you. You agitated it. And he's coming after you. Inserting yourself into other people's business is not a good plan. Right? Don't meddle. And that's kind of an old word basically means don't stick your nose in. Other people's business. Don't stick your nose in other people's business. Okay? You do it, you're going to get bitten. It's pretty simple. You butt into somebody's argument. So, the idea is, you see something that happens, you see something happening, do your best not to go into that argument, but do your best to be a good example around them, to not engage into those things, right? To live in a godlike way, because if you don't, you get bitten. All right, Verse tw or chapter 27, verse 17, again, of verse 17, but chapter 27. So I'm going to read iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Okay, so if you have a, if you have an axe, you can take a file. And what is an axe head made out of? Metal. Iron, particularly probably steel at this point, but we'll call it iron, okay? Um, and you have a file. What's a file made out of? Metal. Why can you sharpen an axe with a file? Because metal against metal will Okay. It does. What's special about the file that is not as much about the axe? There's texture and there's teeth. It's formed, right, formed to cut. <clears throat> but there's one more really important thing. Because if they were both the same hardness, they wouldn't. They wouldn't file. A file is harder than an axe, okay? And so there is a hardness. That is really important. Otherwise, you would just take two pieces of steel and rub them together, and it would just rub both equally. Okay? If you really, really want an effective sharpening tool, it has to be hardened and formulated to do it, formed to cut and sharpen. 
What I'm saying is it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen on accident. There's a purpose behind it. So, yes, a friend is like iron sharpening iron. A good friend has wisdom. They've spent their life learning to do good things, say good things, live in a godly way. And much more than that, they've got a little hardness. Hardness comes from heat. Right? With steel, you heat it up and cool it off. It's kind of a shocking process. You shock the metal to get it hard. In order to do that, you got to heat it up good. The same thing with a good friend. A good friend is not just any old person. A good friend is a friend who's lived through a little bit. So as you get older, be careful in who you choose. You want a friend who has lived their life in such a way that they have learned to have a purpose. They have formed themselves in God's image in such a way that they're useful. And they've cut and they've lived through a little bit. And they have hardness to be able to file you. Because that is what you need in a friend, is somebody to take off the rough edges of you. That's what a good friend does. They say to you when you're about to do that stupid thing, don't do that, that's stupid. And a good friend gets you to listen, all right? Because you know that they're wise. They may have been through something. They may have lived their life and done a few things and learned a few things. The reverse goes for you to your friend. Become purposeful in your life. Don't just be a hunk of steel that is not purposeful, that's not formed in the right way. How do you get formed, ready to cut on somebody else? You get formed by learning about the Lord. You get formed by spending your time in God's Word, spending your time praying, spending your time growing in God, and then you're able to help them much more because you've got the fruits of the Spirit. You've got the evidence that God is in your life. You've lived through it. And so you can help that person. If you don't have purpose, and you don't have a little bit of hardness, you haven't been through the fire in your life, you're probably not that good of a friend, truthfully. So don't look for people that are missing that. Look for people that have that purpose, and have been through the fire a little bit. That's your best friends. Not very many of them in your whole life. If you get one or two in your whole life, that's a pretty good amount. If you have more than that and they're really good friends, count your blessings. Okay? But usually it's one or two in your whole life. It's not a lot. So learn to be a file for them. Learn to have purpose. Learn to, learn to help them as well. All right. Chapter 28, verse number 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, confesseth, and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Okay. 
The truth is that we all struggle with our sins. We all are going to struggle with our sins. We all have sins and we need help with them. We all do wrong things at times. Okay? And hiding our faults will never help. I'm not saying you've got to admit everything you've ever done to everybody you ever come in contact with. But one of the most freeing moments in your life is when you can confess a sin, first of all, to the Lord. That's the biggest and the most important. And there are appropriate times where you might confess something to someone else. A good friend or a parent or something. Maybe a brother or sister, maybe. Okay? Someone who is close to you, someone who maybe needs to hear it, it's not going to chop you down for it, right? But it is a freeing thing to first understand that you are sinful, that you have faults, and then to confess them, to tell someone. The process of telling is an important thing. Even if it's just to God, just to admit, I'm struggling with this. That's as much as God needs to hear to begin with from you. He wants you to know and to see yourself clearly. That's the worst thing is we can't see ourselves clearly at all. Right? So he wants you to see it. And then, much more, in, much more important of that, uh, if you're covering things up, God's not going to let you prosper. But if you admit what you've done to God, and then you forsake what you've done, that is turning your back on it. That doesn't mean you'll never do it again. That doesn't mean you won't mess up. That doesn't mean if you one more time slip, you're done. It does not mean that at all. It means an attitude of which this is becoming less and less important to me because following God and doing the right thing is more important to me. Some sins will be easy. You can confess them. You can move right on. There will be other sins in your life that you may struggle with for decades. Maybe your whole life. But that doesn't mean you cannot forsake them. The depth and the entanglement in sin comes in your soul because you have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. I'm human. But God comes in and changes your internal pieces and He wants you to work that out through you. He wants the Spirit to come out through you by a series of yeses. Yes, God, I'll do that. I'm listening to you. Even though I don't want to, I am listening to you. And I can do that. I don't feel like I'm able, but I can do it. And I need your help. And so it's a series of steps working through with God. It's a series of steps to get to that point where we admit it and we forsake it and say, it's not what I want anymore. To say that, God says, then you'll be free. But if you try to cover it up, it'll never help you out. Chapter 25, our last couple verses here in chapter 25. Go back. A couple chapters here. 
verses 21 and 22. Chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. Okay, we have to think about this carefully. Who does it say we should help? Our enemies. It doesn't say help our friends. Not that we shouldn't help our friends, right? Because that's more natural to you to help your friends. Help your family, help your friends. But those people that do not like you, those are the people it says... Help those people. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. That means watch for their needs. Listen to them. Be attentive even to them. This is not an easy thing to do. But God says, this is what I want you to do. Be like me towards them. The reason that God has forgiven us is because when we were enemies of his and we said, I don't want anything to do with you, God, he says, but you're hungry and I'm going to feed you. And you're thirsty and I'm going to give you a drink. And I'm going to give you what you need. And you need forgiveness and so I'm going to give you forgiveness if you just ask. He did it to us while we were enemies of him. And so God says, be like me. Go to the person that doesn't like you, the person that looks a little different, the person that's not, doesn't want to be around you, the person you say, oh, I don't really like them very much. Help them. By doing that, he says, it's like taking hot coals and dumping them on their heads. Right? Now, I will let you know, uh, Having been blacksmithing for many years, years ago I had a, a forge with an uh, electric blower on it. And I turned on that blower and it would feed air underneath. And I had been blacksmithing for several hours that day and I had a pot of hot coals. And I bent down to grab something and the moment that that happened, I bent over in that moment, as once in a while happened, that air broke through and broke all those little coals into pieces. And they all came down on my head and down the back of my neck. Okay? Let me tell you, that hurt. Okay? <laughs> that hurt a lot. I was probably 18, 19 years old. The only thing I could do, because it hurt so bad, was take wet, like cold cloths and put them on there and just sleep. It hurts so bad. You can't ignore it when people put hot coals on your head. That's what this means there. If you do something for those people who don't like you, if you treat them like God treats us, it's going to be something they cannot ignore. They can't ignore it. Like dumping hot coals on their head, they're going to say, hey, that hurts, right? 
Ow! Whether it's their conscience that, conscience that pricks them or whatever it is, they're going to say, I can't ignore this. And when that happens, God brings blessing in that. He brings blessing in it, and he says, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to reward you for treating your enemy with kindness and love. God watches to see what you do. Now, let me say, next week there will probably be a lot of very different people out there. There will be people that you may not feel comfortable with. There will be people that come in and you say, whoa, what are they doing here? They need the Lord. Like I said first, you can't decide who's going to be here. God decides that. God says that person needs God. Do something kind for them. God will reward you. Do something kind for them. That's really important to watch. Next week is so important. God will be doing things. Make sure you're in tune with what God's doing. It's all on, no, no accidents, what will happen. It's on purpose. Make sure you're watching for those people who need, for those people who are alone. Whether it's a kind word to a person sitting on the side who's all alone, right? Or a drink or a hot dog, or some, just some little gesture. Make sure that you are doing what the Lord wants you to do. It is, you guys represent a very important group, right? You are teenagers that know the Lord. And when you are teenagers, you are representing God to thousands of people. You represent Him, right? The world is full of teenagers who don't know God. There's a small group right here. And so they're watching you. They're watching while you dance. They're watching your attitude. Watching, I'm so tired of this. is all dumb, right? They're watching that. Or they're watching you say, hey, this is great. This is fun. We're having a good time. We're doing good things. I'm okay with this. I'm not going to be a complainer. I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to serve people and help people. Right? And God says, I'll reward you. It'll be like you're dumping hot coals on them. They won't be able to ignore it. They will not be able to ignore it. So pay attention. Do those things. Listen to what God has for you. Uh, and listen to some of these wise things from Proverbs. Don't get in arguments. Be careful. Make choices that are good choices. Right? And listen. Uh, do loving things for your enemy. Admit when you're wrong. And treat others like God treats us. Thank you very much.